Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. Hey everybody, welcome to another another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitch. Yes, I'm a composer and I'm here every week, but each week I am joined by a guest of my own selection and we'll spend the next hour talking about them with frequent interruption by me. This week, I am so excited to welcome to the podcast my guest. Please welcome Gordon Goodwin. Gordon, hello. Cue applause. Cue applause. I should say multiple Grammy winning Gordon Goodwin. Cue the clap. We'll put that well, in you the could, post. You could leave with that, I guess, if you want. But <laughs> we do the we do the sound effect, the applause, and everything in in post production. We'll, we'll slip that right. in. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll make sure that that's uh, it's robust enough. So um, normally, I would give my guest a couple of seconds to talk about who they were and what they do, but um, if they don't know what you do and who you are. They should turn the podcast off and go back to true crime. Um, so we're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're go skip away. That part. That's right. That's right. You don't deserve the episode, so you need to move on. Um, that would be, that's actually a good way we should consider marketing our product from now on. We just, you know, intimidate our, you know, consumers. Like you're not good enough for this. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I want to sell this music to you. I wonder how right. that would work. I don't know. I think somebody should try it. I'm willing to watch yeah. somebody else try it. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, if you get, when you get late enough in your career, you you know, you don't really have uh, as many concerns. You go, whatever, let yeah. me just try something. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very quickly. I, I don't think I've reached that point yet. Oh no. Yeah. I'm very quickly approaching the take it or leave it point. <laughs> That could be uh, well. It's kind of liberating if you get to that point. It is a little bit liberating, you know. When you get to the point, you go, "Hey, this is who I am, and this is what I do." And if you like me, great. And if you don't like me, then that's that's a you problem for sure. That actually sounds like a track from one of your from one of your albums. Take it or leave it. That could be like a like a really cool Gordon Goodman big fat band tune, and uh, and you can have it. It's my gift to you. It's just, yeah, you're right. It's just kind of sassy enough that it would work. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, actually, we did we did a, a record. Our, our so one, two, three, four, fifth record was "That's How We Roll." Right. And it was a little bit. It was a little bit in answer to um, some criticism the band had gotten from a, a journalist with a particular point of view about what big bands should sound like and what music they should or should not play and i and at that point i was kind of like well you know this is kind of what we do that's how we roll yeah and it was yeah. that was a little bit of a uh, a response to that particular journalist i remember i'm I remember sure that. we told him yeah i remember I'm sure reading that about he that. learned his lesson yeah i'm sure that he listens to the tune he's like ah man they really got me <laughs> no <laughs> He's only going to be positive from now on. From now on, yeah, exactly. Well, see, that's how we spread our love and our light in the world. It's actually we joke about it, but that's kind of the that's kind of what I've caught, gotten around to in my life is spending time, you know, in the in the uh, cynical world. Sometimes it's in the music business; it's pretty easy to get cynical, and um, but it'll take you down. You know, if you if you allow that to, uh, you know, infect, you know, you're thinking too much. So um, our music, I think, uh, is maybe imbued with kind of an inherent positivity um, for better, for worse. Sometimes when your music sounds um, proactively optimistic, it cannot, it, it, sometimes it isn't taken as seriously artistically, you know, mm, mm -hmm. you got the idea of, of somebody, of a struggling artist, you know, and you can hear their struggle in their, in their music or in their art, um, that our culture tends to kind of respect that or understand that. And conversely, if they hear somebody's music, that's a little bit lighter and fun and everything, then it's, 
considered frivolous, you know, or, or you know, less uh, less deep. So, um, but that all that in the end doesn't really matter. I mean, I think you just have a primary responsibility to write music that you believe in, and that's pretty much it. You know, um, doesn't matter what the uh, what it doesn't matter what the guys in the band think. Doesn't matter what the critics think or the audience even. At the end, I think it just matters what you think as a composer. And and this is a this is a uh, journey for me. And I know I'm getting ahead of few, a few of your questions here, but I remember I've been talking about it recently because a, a week ago, um, I lost the source of my primary inspiration. He was my high school band director who oh, passed wow. away. Two weeks short of 99. Mm. And um, and he, when I was a 13-year-old kid, he sat down, he played me a Count Basie record. He said, dude, you need to do this. I want you to write a song like this for our jazz band. And I I said, well, well how do you do that? I don't know how to do that. Right. And he said, oh, you'll figure it out. And he kind of nudged me over to do that. And so as I was trying to figure out what to do, one thing popped in my head pretty early was like, I I better make this so that the guys in the band like playing it. Cause if they don't like it, the, well, they make fun of me, you know, well, they chastise me for having the temerity to want to write a song, you know, I yeah. mean, you, when you're a kid, you're kind of thinking about that kind of stuff. So that uh, gotta please the guys thing infected my worldview as far as a, being a composer early. And it stayed with me well through high school, college, and the first maybe 10 years of my professional career, when I finally, I got busted on a job because I kind of overwrote on the charts mm. in an attempt to make it fun for the guys. <clears throat> and then the uh, the producer of the project was like, what the hell is this? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> I, I heard him talking about me. I was at Disneyland where we were, I was working as a musician and I'd written this music for a Mouseketeer show or something. And I heard the, the uh, director of entertainment, you see, he was standing around the corner from where I was. And he goes, oh, yeah, that Gordon Goodwin, man, he's got no commercial sense. <laughs> thought, what does that even mean? I didn't know what it meant. But I figured it out, you know, as time went on. I go, oh, yeah, I see. Uh, I, I really wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. They hired me to write a certain thing. And I tried to add my thing to it, you know. so. Um, that took some time to be able to realize I didn't have to prove myself on every gig. Yeah. That's an important lesson. Um, I'm kind of with you. I care less and less about, about other people's opinions over the thing and, and tend to write, write for me. Um, well, I want to ask you about, about your early music making, but before we, we do that, I want to ask you about, have you, okay. So just recently I was in the car and as I do, I don't know if you're the same way. I skip around listening to things and I'm, and I'm, I'm driving along and I'm like, you know what? Uh, hey Siri play Samba del Gringo. And, yeah. and, and, you know, Siri says the thing. Now, see, now my, now my, now my phone's going to, your phone's going off too. You, my iPad heard you go, Hey Siri. I love that. And, and, and it also terrifies me. Um, I know, I know. It's all, it's, it's a, so, so I said it, I'm driving along. I said it, I, 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 I tell Siri to, to play the tune and it says now playing Samba del Beep by Gordon Goodwin's big fat band. And I go, what? Cause it's like it, it's like it, uh, what do they call it? Not muted. It's like it's censored, um, gringo. <laughs> And I went, I wonder if anybody has ever, uh, I can't be the first person to have experienced that, but I, I was going to ask if you, if you had ever experienced that on your I own. I can't even believe it, but that is so awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. Of all the words. Well, yeah. that shows you where we're at. I guess. If, if that's a, a, a triggering word for people, it was meant to be, even back then, it was meant to be um, kind of ironic. Sure. It was meant to kind of make fun of people that would use a term like that, you know, in a derogatory manner. I used to introduce the song and say, yeah, Samba del, del Gringo, you know, dance of the white man. And I right. did a little stupid, goofy <laughs> dance, you know. And yeah, yeah. I just couldn't find it the whole thing. 
I just couldn't believe it because I know how many things that I will say to people in a text message that that Siri will read back to me um, un, unfiltered. And I think, but it won't, uh, she, she won't say gringo back to me. So I, I just thought, how, how ridiculous and yeah. fun is this? And I thought, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to bring that up. In a couple of oh, that is a, that's a new one. <laughs> well, you know, what's, what is uh, particularly troublesome about it is that we all know that there are people uh, in the world that have genuinely offensive opinions. Sure. And are capable of uh, of you know uh, imbuing real hurt by their words and their you know and their and their point of view, and um, there may be a reason to um, control people like that. On the other hand, I'm kind of a, of a mind that you know you can't control other people, you can't control what they think, what they think, or they pl- or they say rather. So what you can control is your reaction to your circumstances and how you react to it, um, you know, will will determine how happy you are in the world. You know, if you're going to get triggered by what other people do or say or think, good luck trying to control all that. Yeah. I think, I think we're just, uh, you know, we're on a slippery slope, you know, to try to do that. And then in the course of the course of things, you end up, you know, censoring things that are, are just, you know, not really offensive at all, but, um, they played the song. Good thing. I mean, what if the song would have had lyrics? <laughs> it played the song. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, it said the word know, gringo. Yeah. What would we have done then? I, I don't know. And I was trying to think. I was like, I can't think of another time that that has happened. Um, that was a first for me. So I don't know. Maybe it's a update or. Okay. I don't know. They played the tune. I enjoyed it. I went on to the thing, but <laughs> it's a really interesting story. <laughs> and now I'm trying to think well, of words good. I can well, put into titles. Good that will get censored by, um, by Siri. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put some thought into what my, what I might be able to do anyway. Well, the, there, are, there are several that come to mind, but maybe, maybe that's a different podcast. It's probably more than what was it? George Carlin had his like seven, seven secret words or his seven special cool. words. You couldn't say out right, loud, right. something like that. I'm sure it's more words than seven these days. Um, well, think about it, you know, in, in, uh, I love Lucy days. You couldn't say the word pregnant on the air. Oh yeah. Scandalous. It was, it was indeed. So, um, yeah, you know, everything, everything kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, every, (laughs) every podcast, we seem to have a tangent, um, about something. So that was, that was probably our tangent. Got ours out of the way. Yeah. We got ours out of the way right at the top. Um, well, I, so I want to ask you, I do a lot of, of asking about my guests kind of origin stories in music and kind of how they got into music to begin with, like their first entry point to making music when they were younger. Like, what did that look like for you? Pretty young kindergarten. Oh, wow. And my, my parents forced me to take piano lessons. I really wasn't particularly interested, but I did what mom and dad said. So I went and studied with a woman who caught on pretty quickly that I wasn't that interested in playing scales and learning that stuff. But um, she was, she was clever. And she said to me, um, I will make you a deal. If you play your scales next week, I'll let you write a song. And I didn't know what she was talking about. That was in kindergarten. Yeah. Write a, write, write a song. What did songs get written? What? I didn't know what it meant. Um, but I said, okay. And I, I practiced my little C scales, whatever it was. And then the next week she says, all right, now I'm going to write down the left hand. Here's what the left hand does. And she wrote about four bars out. She says, now you have to write out the right hand. As I think about this now that I was in kindergarten, that I even knew how to write anything. Um, but I wrote, I kind of, I basically did the same rhythm she did and it went along in thirds in the right hand, kind of cheating, but you know, it, it was the fact I did it at all was was okay, and then she goes, "Good. Now this week you're going to do both hands. I want you to write um, a march." And I didn't know what a march was, so she told me, and she played a little something, and then I remembered it, went home, came up with four bars, kind of like that, and I wrote it out. I kind of was able to figure out how to notate it. Now. And so each week she had, this week you'll do a waltz and this week you'll do a polka. And she would tell me those styles. And it got me uh, considering pretty early that I could create my own stuff. And um, now these these pieces were not particularly 
You know, I wasn't a young Mozart by any by any means. <laughs> uh, once again, though, the fact I was doing it at all was probably pretty cool. So yeah, she got she had me doing that, which kept me. I kind of would do that little piano songs up through fourth, fifth grade. And then it was uh, in seventh grade, I had my Count Basie moment with my band director, wrote the first big band chart. And um, it worked. We recorded it at our spring concert. All the kids liked it. And that kind of became my thing that distinguished me. There are other piano players and other saxophone players, you know, in our school that played pretty good, but nobody was writing music for large ensemble. Mm. And um, so I, I uh, would write two or three charts a year, not, not very super prolific, but through high school, uh, I did that. And my band director also gave me the gift of allowing me to conduct the band and lead the band at jazz festivals. And we're playing at the Monterey Jazz Festival when I was a junior and a senior. And, um, it, and he just would walk off the stage and let me, let me run the band. Uh, he got slammed in Downbeat Magazine for doing that, actually. And I got praised because, oh, wow, and, and young Gordon Goodwin took over. And I'm thinking, and I remember at the time going, yeah, baby. But then as I thought about it, I go, man, this guy was giving me a great gift and all of us because it wasn't about him. It was about putting the light on on his students. So so um, I was lucky that I came under the influence of both Janet Hodges as a kindergarten teacher and uh, Robin Snyder. You know, as a band director that kind of got me thinking that way. Uh, let, me, let me speed this up. The college, they had no jazz major at Cal State Northridge in those days. So I was a classical saxophone major. Um, and they at the time, they said, man, you're studying counterpoint and you're studying orchestration and conducting in music history. That's what we do here. Even mm-hmm. though they had a good jazz band. So I. I started studying that stuff and I fell in love with composers like Stravinsky and Bartok and Debussy. And, and then at the, in the evening, I was in a, a top 40 band and we would play at this club down in Montebello, kind of a long drive from where I lived, but, and we play, you know, Stevie wonder and earth, wind and fire and, um, you know, pop music. Yeah. So I was broadening my, my worldview uh, at one, all at one time. Playing, playing jazz that I always loved, but also learning about classical music and then trying to get an understanding of pop music and, you know, how to appreciate its uh, good points. So uh, I think that stuck with me, you know, to this day where I have a pretty broad, you know, uh, stylistic viewpoint about what a big band can do, especially, you know, and um, so um, I believe it. I believe that, you know, that we don't need the barriers that jazz has to fit between this and this, that we can knock them down and um, and all the music can kind of flow like a big stew. I, I mean, that's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Did you, um, you obviously kept up with your, your band director. Did you keep up with your piano teacher for a while? Did, were you able to? Uh, for a little while, but, but she. I believe she moved and I tried to find out where she was over the years. And I'm not sure if she's with us or not, possibly not. Um, it's, it's too bad. I was able to, to thank my band directors many times, you know, for what he did. Um, I was able to thank Sammy Nestico. The, you know, the first Count Basie song I heard was Sammy. Mm. And I fell in love with hit with his writing. And then I became friends and colleagues with him and, told him more times than he was comfortable with how much I appreciated, you know, what he did for me. He heard that all day long, you know, I was going to say, Everyone I'm sure he heard that from every, every person he, he came into contact with. Um, he, he I'm sure I said did. that to him at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also got a chance in, in, in recent years to meet Herb Alpert because Herb Alpert was a, when I was in, in uh, fifth grade, I, I heard the Tijuana brass and I loved that. So I put a little Tijuana brass band together in fifth grade and wrote a few things in that style. And then uh, he got a, I got a call from him. It was during COVID in 2020, mm. just out of the blue. And I'm looking at my phone and said, what is Malibu? Who do I? So I just answer and I go, hello, it's Gordon. And he goes, hi, uh, Gordon, it's Herb Alpert. <laughs> and I said, you're going to have to give me a minute. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, why? I go, I go, it's not every day you get a phone call from, from one of your idols who, you know, uh, that set me, helped set me on the path of, of my music. And we talked for an hour. We became friends. I mean, he's 88, I think, something like that. And um, wonderful man, you know, and he's he's got a big, you know, wheelbarrows full of money, but he uses it to support music education. His philanthropic, uh, you know, instincts are just incredible. And um, so there's another guy that I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, connect with and thank, you know, for the inspiration he gave me. Yeah. Wow. Man, it sounds like you've been uh, basically came out of the womb, a band leader and just spitting out charts. <laughs> well, you know what? The, uh, the band leader thing w was a little elusive for me. Yeah. Because um, I became aware pretty, pretty quickly about how not everybody felt the same way about big band jazz that I did. And especially people that, um, you know, were hiring me to write music. Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't really that interested in it. And um, so I, I figured out that if I wanted to have it happen, I'm going to have to pay for it myself. So I was fortunate that I was working on film and different, you know, commercial music, uh, you know, ventures. So I had a little money and I could throw it into, you know, what I put the big fat band together. I was 40. I waited. I And I waited because I didn't think I could do it. I wasn't sure how do you get a record deal? I didn't know. I didn't know how to, you know, I hadn't, I didn't know um, if they would even come to the studio and play, never mind go on the road. I didn't even think we'd ever do that. I thought, let's just record this first record and that'll be it. And I'll have it. And then I was able to get a record deal a little bit, you know, and uh, all of a sudden a gig opportunity came up and now I'm here talking to you. So, um, <laughs> You've gotten all the way it, to my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's the truth though. You know, <laughs> I was, I was making a pretty good living, but it was kind of an anonymous living. Yeah. I was doing, um, you know, I was orchestrating for a lot of composers and conducting these big orchestras and, and I was doing some work under my own name, but um, um, it, it just took a while for me to get the confidence to do it. And as I consider it now, what would have happened if I would have started when I was 30, stuff like that. And those questions are kind of pointless because I didn't. Yeah. Couldn't. So it just, that's the way it had to play out for me. And I did it when I could do it. And so, um, and you know, I'm really, I, I, I'm just so uh, grateful that I'm um, able to do it. People that are responding to it. I guess I'm also lucky that I, the music that I believe in also seems to resonate with, with a lot of people. Um, you know, I have a friend who, whose music, uh, he's a great composer, but his music is pretty dissonant and he loves odd, uh, you know, choices, odd meters, odd instrumentations. And it's just really interesting, but it demands a lot, you know, to, to yeah. be able to understand it and go with it. And I can write that stuff too, but uh, but it's it's not uh, not where I live. That's where he lives, and so he's realizing, yeah, I I, I have to. This is what I have to do, and I have to uh, just live with the fact that not everybody's going to like it. <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really important place for any creative person to get is you got to be in the right time and place in your life. You have to have the right set of experiences and to a certain extent you have to be ready to just well i'm going to do this and throw it out there and see what happens and if everybody hates it i'm still fine yeah yeah exactly right and here's the thing that i would also say um my comment about waiting until 40 notwithstanding i will say this if you uh have an intention to uh, to create your own you know lane in the business when you're when you're in your 20s however busy you think you are you have no idea how much worse it's going to get especially you meet somebody and then you get married you pop out a couple of kids and then you're screwed because <laughs> you you have to make choices like well do i go write this chart or do i go to my kids basketball game or to my daughter's dance recital yeah what are you going to choose you know you, you're going to have to, you, you, you know what you're going to choose. So then the, the, the first 10 charts for the big fat band, 
I wrote probably from 10 in the evening to one in the, in the morning. Cause I was working at Warner brothers and we were working on uh, animated stuff for Spielberg. And it was a lot of work, intense work. And then I'd get done, you know, every night about eight or nine o'clock with my, you know, allocation of minutes I had to write each day. And I go, all right, should I go hang out in the couch and, you know, watch the Dodgers or should I just get up there and write this big band stuff that I want to do? And I realized if I don't do it now, when? So I would go up there every night for about three hours, get done what I could, you know, and then after six months I had charts, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I'd say that, um, uh, it became, it became, um, a real issue of time allocation, you know, for me to uh, be able to dedicate myself to, to that dedicate myself as a husband and father, dedicate myself as a, you know, a professional writing music for, you know, those animated programs. Um, and there's only so many hours in the day. So, you know, in your twenties, you know, yeah, I smell, you know, you spend a lot of time hanging out in your twenties. That's kind of part of it. Sure. But I remember thinking at the time, eh, should I be practicing? Sure. <laughs> I should be practicing, you know? And um, and I I practiced a little bit, but uh, I play, practiced way more uh, from thirty on. I, I mean, today I I play every day. Sure. Um, I, I I feel like if I if I'm on the piano and on the saxophone every day, even if it's twenty minutes, I I can keep a relationship with those instruments. You know? Yeah. Um. Do you keep? Although a I have to say, I'm sitting here now. My saxophone's right over there, there over there, and it's. It's pissed at me. I know it is because I, I haven't touched it for two days. I'm on the piano every day. And I, you know, when you're writing, the piano's you know, kind of under your fingers a lot. But yeah. Uh, but I have, a, I have a record I did. It's a piano duet record. And it's all original stuff. And it's a combination of classical music and jazz and Latin music. And it's just me and me. And I played both parts. And so I had to get my game up oh, to yeah. be able to execute stuff I wrote. You know, so and that we're going to, we're getting, did a photo shoot for it uh, a little bit ago and we're getting the artwork and all that stuff ready for probably first quarter of this year, you know? So, um, uh, so because of that saxophone has been a little bit, a little bit neglected. <laughs> yeah. I imagine so. That, that sounds really cool. Do you, do you find that you, you follow a similar schedule for writing? Like, are you somebody that writes every day a little bit or yeah. is it different? I, yeah. I, I I learned that I needed to do it every day, um, even if it's just you know even if it's a small amount. Sometimes um, getting away from it's a good idea too, uh, but I can't get away from it for very long because if if I if I go on vacation, all I do is think about music, you know. Oh sure. So what I've started to do is I I would take my phone, and I would sing these ideas you know into the voice memo. Yeah. Because sometimes you get these ideas, and, and 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 often for me, it's not super specific. It's more maybe conceptual, mm -hmm. and um, it might be, I don't know. I, I might be thinking, okay, whatever that is. I'm not really singing pitches. Yeah, but I'm singing a concept, and I'm singing kind of an energy, and a and enough that I could listen to it a few days later when I when I am here in the studio and go, oh, oh yeah, and then you know figure out the little details. That's one thing that I had to learn as composer, by the way, was um, when to go big picture and when to go little picture. And I think going from a pencil and a piece of paper composing to all the gear that's over here behind me. The gear has helped me to capture my ideas quicker and I'm playing it in and I don't have to really even hit the right notes as much the first pass. Yeah. I just kind of paint the broad picture and then, and then later go back and fix structural things or, or get the notes specifically. And I, I remember um, I read a book by an, a Disney animator. His name is Seamus Colhane. That's a great and it was name. a book about, yeah, I know. He worked for Disney back in the early days. He worked on Pinocchio and he was pissed because you have to have a certain amount of footage to get credit. Oh. And he was about 10 feet shy of the amount that he really needed to get credit, something like that. So his name's not on the movie, but 
he talked about how he animated a scene of there's uh, I don't know if you remember the movie. There's a fox who kind of lures Pinocchio into the into show business, you know. And there's a right. scene where he hope he holds up a cigar with his hand, and he's it's it, you can see just his hand and cigar and his and his face. And he goes, and I knew what I need. The main thing I needed to capture was the cigar and his eyes. So his first drawings are just this the fox's eyes. And then kind of the hand and the cigar, and he's kind of flicking this, the ashes on the cigar. Mm. And he knew if I get caught up in trying to draw the lapel of his sleeve and the button on there and the way the, the uh, clothing folds as he raises his arm, all that stuff. He goes, I was going to lose the broad gesture of, that I wanted the guy to lift the cigar and look at it or look away or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. And I saw a parallel between that, you know, and composing for us. Especially in long form pieces, you know, if you start to get bogged down in the details, then you can, you might lose the horizon that you're that you're headed for. Yeah. So anyway, all the all the, all the computer stuff and the samples have helped me to execute that a little better. That's really fascinating. I uh, I find in my old age I'm much the same way. I think I think in big pictures, and I go back later and and edit or fill in or, you know, like, well, yeah. I don't know what this is yet, but something like this. Um, and that's very cool. Right. Um, what do you compose? What, what's your, what's your, uh, what are your tools? Oh, I'm a Sibelius guy and a logic pro and every sound yeah. sample library known to man, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. <laughs> as many, uh, as many uh, friends that, that will record things for me as is humanly possible. And I can drop into the middle of things and, yeah, there you go. You know. And everyone seems to have a real Frankenstein uh, sound library, you know. Yeah. And you get you get used to uh, to a, a library that you are comfortable with, and will do, you know, things you need it to do. Yeah, I told. And then and then they do a, then they do an up an OS update, and then it doesn't work anymore, and then you you know. That's right. Yeah, I I told somebody the other day. I said, you know, it's really interesting. I'm at the point in my life where. If I'm going to buy a new sound sample library, it has to be like, does this French horn sound 1% better than the one I've got? <laughs> and is that, <laughs> is that worth yeah. it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know you, you upgrade at your own risk. I mean, I'm about to upgrade, you know, my computer here and I know I'm going to be down for two weeks at least, you know? Oh yeah. Just, just to get back to, you know, to ground zero. Yeah. Oh yeah. I went through a major shift, uh, into 2020, Two, I, I switched from PC to a Mac and yeah. um, it was like my life shut down for a month while I tried to reload everything and find all the, the Apple equivalents or things that would run on the machine. And um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, well, uh, welcome, welcome to the, uh, uh, the good side of the force. Right. Yeah. No, I'm never going back. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's really wonderful now. And, and, you know, like, like somebody that, really loves their instrument. Like once I have a setup that I really love, like I just don't mess with it. I get too familiar with it and my workflow gets to be just a certain way. And it's like, Nope, I don't want anything new. I don't want the update. I don't want, I don't want anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe another monitor, just keep adding monitors. I'll always add monitors, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. Real estate up there is really, it's really, uh, it's amazing. It's like hard drive space. You know, you think you've yeah. got, oh, I got plenty now and then it's full. Yeah. It's same thing with, I got, I have a pretty new monitor over here in a, and I'm still moving windows around, you know, to try to see everything I need to see. Yeah. I remember growing up, um, we had a, a one gigabyte hard drive put in my computer, probably when I was in high school. And I remember the guy told me, he says, you will never fill this up. <laughs> I thought this is great. And now I think, Oh, how stupid is that? Like how many terabytes of hard drives do I have on my desk right now? And, right, right, right. and that's probably not enough. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, well, and also for me, I don't know. I mean, I, I would rather buy more storage than get organized enough to know where everything is and, and uh, archiving and, and cataloging things and knowing where they are, are such a, that's such a challenge for me, you know, and so, and I'll bring in, I'll bring in an assistant, you know, we'll kind of get organized every, every year or two. But um, I just, I just, uh, I try, I work pretty quickly. I just need to, 
Yeah. And so um, sometimes I just want to get the music done, even if I'm not putting it where it's supposed to be, you know. Right. And um, I know I know there are definitely some some people that are really good at that. They're just they're very ergonomically, uh, you know, talented. Yeah. I I have another podcast that I write. It's a sci fi drama. And I write the story and voice actors record all the dialogue and then I write the score and um, you get to the last episode of a season and I go, I listen to it and I go, yep, I was in a hurry right here. Yep. I did this at the last minute. Yep. I needed to write this today and release it tomorrow. Like I hear it when I go back and listen to it and go, well, I should you can hear the more, shortcuts. Yeah. Going to be more organized next time. And um, you know, that hasn't it's a, yet. it's a real, it's a real regret that I have about, um, you know, working in film is that um, we, we are expected to do our best work, work that will hold up, you know, over the years. And yet we're not getting, we're really getting the time yeah. that would allow us to do our best work. It's mostly it's often just a matter of survival mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, coming up with something, well, that works as opposed to something that's inspired and works. And, um, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm facing that with the project right now. I I know the release date, and it's fixed uh, due to a lot of factors. And it seems like it's uh, plenty of time, and yet I I can I can just see how it's coming. I know I'm going to be rushing at the end of it, and there's no way they're moving it. Not for the music. That's for sure. <laughs> maybe if they do a test and the audience doesn't like the ending or doesn't like you know. Sure. But it, but in this case, actually, this is kind of an historical event, so um, the ending, you know, kind of is what it is. But. It's probably set already. That's interesting. Yeah, oh, it definitely yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, in my old age, I like to write things and I like to let them breathe for a few days, and mm-hmm. especially especially if I'm going back and filling in or or adding little elements as I go along. I, that's the biggest thing. When I listen to things that I know I rushed through, I know I listen to them later and I go, Oh, this would have been great if I had just added whatever right here. If I had had mm-hmm. the time. Now, of course it's my podcast. I could go back and fix it, but have I done that? No, I haven't done that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's because it's like, well, let's on to the next. I'm on to the next thing. So I don't get behind again, which is going to happen anyway. <laughs> Um, oh, that's great! I love to hear. I love to hear that. I love. I love science fiction and. Oh, gee, um, well, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link, and uh, um, and if you like it, I I you can record a, a voice part for me, and I'll I'll kill you in space somehow. You could be elevator operator number two. Oh, um, that'd be great! Sucked out an airlock or something. I've I've already killed most of my family um, on the show, so, and most of my yeah. close friends have already have already died. But then I realized the more people that 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 die on the show, the more, the more actors I have to find to record the parts. So I stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah. But you, you could do some, you, you could do some, you know, you know, quantum physics kind of stuff to, you know, do another, another dimension and they're alive in that dimension. You can bring do an alternate timeline. Yeah. 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 All the timeline thing. Yeah. I'm always trying to con people into like, just, just say, uh, you know, what floor please. Like, you know, whatever, like these throwaway lines that, I have to have somebody for, I'm always trying to talk people into doing them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to do that. Man. I, I, I acted in a film uh, a couple years ago. It was a, uh, it was a film about some kids in the forties who wanted to put a big band together to enter this competition. And they asked me to play this uh, adjudicator guy that was kind of, he put the festival together and, and I was an MC and everything kind of playing myself, you know? Yeah. But this guy was yeah. a little bit stuffier than me. Um, and, and I had, uh, they didn't really want me to uh, change the, the dialogue very much. Sure. Put it sure. in my own cadence or stuff. I mean, I kind of did a little bit, but, um, but they, you know, they dressed me up in the forties wardrobe and, and it was really, it was actually really fun, you know, and I had a couple of scenes all by myself that I got to do. And, um, I think it's on the movies on um, Apple oh, and a couple other. That's very cool. Warm season. Yeah. But it was fun to get out, to get out there and kind of feel that whole th- that side of the camera. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that was neat. Is it, is it weird seeing yourself then on TV playing this, this character? Oh yeah. It's, it's weird. Strange? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's really strange. 
you just look at yourself and go, wow, that is just pathetic, man. <laughs> Even though I was, I was okay with my performance, but you know, you never know what take they're going to use. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That. You're there all day. They're going to use 30 seconds of something or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 How much fun? What's that called? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go watch. Called it. It's called the Knights of Swing. Knights of Swing. And it's, it's directed by a friend of mine named Emilio Palami, who's a great pianist. I, I knew him as a piano player, and then, and then he kind of moved away from uh, the music business, started acting, and then now he's been directing. He's got a, a lot of different projects going, and so, um, it, yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, a little bit of money. We did it during COVID, so we had like COVID protocols and oh yeah, everything it was. It was pretty restrictive. What a nightmare. Well, Apple's not a sponsor of the show, but they could be. And I'll mention more of their 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 shows and movies. Yes. Step well, up, Apple. Let me let me ask you this. Do you have um uh we've thrown away the script for the show, by the way. Like we've just we've gone full Oh, it seems like we blew through that. On the we blew through it. on the script to the show, and that's fine. Um because we've we've covered a lot and that's great. Let me ask you this though: are are there um, when you put when you put the big fat band together, you did the recording? Was there a time that like you know you kind of talked about how you didn't really, didn't really know what that was going to be or turn into? Was there a time after that happened when you kind of thought you know what this may be something that has some staying power that's going to really like this is going to be something that I'm I'm involved with for a while. This is gonna this is gonna really work. I had that. I had that epiphany. Um, seems seems like um, seems like a fourth, a third or fourth record. Um, but we we kind of coincided with uh, we we were kind of coming up as the music uh, record business was dying, and people were not buying as many records. We had, hadn't quite transitioned to uh, you know Spotify, YouTube kind of platforms yet, but it was happening. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I was faced with the issue of spending between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to to record, you know, one of the record and, and mix and master one of these records. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it, believe me, we weren't buying gear and doing coke and renting limos. You know, I mean, it was <laughs> a lot of it went to like if I have Michael Brecker as a guest artist, five grand. Yeah. You know, if I, if I had uh, chick Korea, you know, he was five grand, you know, a guest artist, you know, added a lot to the, to the budget, but also, you know, we're filing a union contract for the musicians and, um, you know, even the cheapest one, you know, it's, it's kind of a lot. And then if we would do a video shoot and then all of a sudden that's money. Mm-hmm. So, um, before you know it, uh, if I, I, I produced many of them myself, but then I, I brought in uh, Lee Rittenauer to produce one of them and Greg Field produced, you know, uh, three of them, I think. So those guys don't work for free. Right. So before you know it, you know, you're talking about real money. And then you look at money coming back in and each and every one of these records is losing money. And so... Uh, you can't see it up on my wall. I've got, I've got them all like kind of up here on the above me, you know, 13 of them or something. And yeah. I just need to ask a, a question, you know, to the audience, who does a business where you lose money every time you release a record 13 times, who does that? What does that even do? So there, there is a, a problem there because the people that hire us, they know, they know that we love this so much and we do it for free or worse. We pay money. We'd lose money to do it. Yeah. So that weakens your negotiating position a lot of times. But on the other hand, there are reasons to do things besides money. And um, in the case of the big fat band, it brought balance to my life in an incredible way because with, with this project, I don't have a director or producer telling me one guy told me, let's not use any minor chords in the score because people use minor chords all the time. Let's just not do that. Stuff like that. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. Like he would know a minor chord if he heard it, you know? But when, when your director says that to you, you know, your job is to go great idea, no minor chords and figure out a solution, you know? 
I had one guy on an on a, uh, animation project say, which uh, I don't like the bassoon. Let's, let's not do that because that's, that's not very cartoony. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, except for if you had to name one instrument yeah. in the orchestra that was cartoony, you might name the bassoon. Yeah. But in this guy's case, he didn't want it. So anyway, <laughs> all that kind of stuff that happens uh, that you just have to say, you got it, baby. Sure. But with the big fat band, nobody was saying that to me. I was given, uh, you know, I since I paid for it, I had the autonomy to, you know, make it whatever I wanted it to be. So that's kind of a, a, a cool thing. And uh, and I have to say that I was fortunate that it caught on enough that it became a bit of a brand unto its own. But the other thing I would say is that um, my family uh, ha- paid the price in in some ways. Yeah, I'm not going to take a vacation this year, and you know I'm I'm working around the clock, you know, so maybe not quite as available as I would have been normally. Um, so that's kind of an important thing that we maybe need to consider. Um, you know, if you decide to marry somebody, they better understand your uh, commitment to this music and uh, not be threatened by it uh, and not um, uh, and, and be able to you know give you that space because, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time by yourself. Sure. It oh, is. Yeah. It, you, you can't get it done any other way than in solitude where you really are able to make the, all the thousands of decisions you na- need to make about what, what, what do I believe in and what I believe in might mean this interval or this interval, or, you know, this voicing or this voicing, all those millions of decisions, you know, you have to make, and you can't make it via committee. You can't make it jamming with the guys, you know, right. and go, how about this groove for the song? You know, not the kind of composing we're talking about. So, yeah, right. um, so that that definitely helps, you know, if you your your family needs to be along for the ride, and um, um, but um, I you know man, it's it's uh it's been really a rewarding thing to be able to just say, well, this is kind of what I believe in, and and I uh, hope you like it. But if you don't, like we said earlier, if you don't, then cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. Well, um. You've talked about a couple of things on the horizon. Do you have do you have any big uh, like career bucket list projects? Something you've never done before? Anything that you'd like to do that just opportunity hasn't come along? Um, I guess uh, I guess not. I I, I mean I think I've been, I've been able to. I I keep thinking about um, my time spent with orchestras and conducting live concerts of my stuff. I've written a trumpet concerto and a trombone concerto and a, a, a double concerto for piano and clarinet and some other things. And um, they take forever to write, you know, they might be, might take four or five months to write. Oh yeah. And then uh, like with most of them, I've gotten one or two performances. Mm-hmm. And so I need to, I, you know, as opposed to uh, if I write a chart for the big fat band, it's going to, it's going to get some traction, you know, right. yet I love the orchestral genre. And that's one reason working in film can be, you know, exhilarating, you know, cause you, you know, if, if you've got enough of a budget, you know, you can stand in front of a lot of pretty great musicians and give that downbeat and there's no, nothing like it. Uh, but I've been fortunate that I've, you know, conducted orchestras all over the world and, um, had but able to experience that feeling. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with the piano record, because it is just, although I do have bass and drums on a few tracks, but mostly it's just me and there's nowhere yeah. to hide, you oh, know? Sure, yeah. nowhere to hide compositionally or nowhere to hide, you know, in terms of, uh, of my performance. When I play piano with a big fat band, I'm, you know, mostly supportive, even though I'll, I'll take maybe a solo a night, maybe. Right. And um, I've, worked hard to deserve, to deserve to be up on stage with those, those guys, you know? Um, but the piano record is going to be a, a different thing. Um, I, I felt like my, uh, my plane has been kind of a secondary commitment to the writing. Most writers probably feel that way, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, but so. once in a while I'll find myself, you know, faced with a, you know, something I need to do. Like for instance, we had a song that I wrote, uh, to an Oscar Peterson piano solo. And we had the audio from it 
and we got permission to use his audio and we got, we put it through a program, cleaned it up and everything. So it sounded good. Yeah. But then, and I wrote the arrangement kind of based on his performance. So the chart kind of folded around what he improvised, you know? Uh, and then as we were, as we were mixing it, his estate rescinded their position, their uh, permission for us to use it. Oh, wow. So all of a sudden we're like, uh-oh. So I, I talked to Oscar's widow on the phone a couple times, you know, and I'm making her laugh and I'm trying to get her to just see the you know value of it. Yeah. And she just wasn't feeling it. Hmm. So then I started to think, all right, I've got this great track, but with no soloist. And I, I was thinking about who I could bring in to do it. Um, made a few calls, but then eventually I thought, you know, Gordon, man up. Do you just man up and get? And so I, I started to practice the solo, and it was Oscar Peterson, you know. So yeah. things that he would do with with uh, one hand, I need two hands, you know. But yeah. fine. So I practiced it every day for probably three months, and yeah, you know, maybe forty five minutes a day, maybe twenty minutes a day. But after three months, I was ready. I went in the studio and I played it, and um, uh, I I felt um, I hear it now, and you know. Like just like you say, you know, you listen to your your uh, your other podcasts and you can hear the shortcuts. I can hear that stuff where I rush a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's pretty fast tempo, you know. Like, but I can hear that now. But I, I, it gave me added confidence that if I have to, I can kind of step into that a little bit. So, um, so I'm facing one of those moments now with the piano record, and maybe we'll do a tour. But I, I obviously can't play both parts, so it'd have to be with another pianist or you right. know something. Uh, you got to figure that out clones that question almost stumped me man <laughs> um but i will say I, I will say that there are artists like i wrote a piece for yo-yo and um he sent me the most beautiful rejection letter it was so gracious <laughs> and oh. the fact that he because most of the time you know people just don't respond sure yeah he sent me this beautiful sure. letter you know so the piece went unplayed but artists like that you know you know, to be able to do some kind of a collaboration. I wrote some arrangements for the pianist Long Long. He did a record um, for, for Disney. It was like a, called the Disney Book, I think. Mm. And I did arrangements of Disney songs for him. And it was really fascinating because he's a classically trained guy. Sure. And, and one of the songs was from Encanto. It was called We Don't Talk About Bruno. It's right. kind of a Latin groove. Right. And so long, long, he's like, you know, his rubato was just bizarre, but that was his thing. Right. It works with when he plays Debussy or whatever, but this stuff, and then the song itself was not really pianistic. It was written by uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, so it was kind of, kind of uh, rapish, you know, yeah, kind of, yeah. uh, or recitative, you know, a yeah. lot of syllables, a lot of exposition, you know. So I had to find a way to make it pianistic and then have this guy with his, with his training be able to play it. Really interesting challenge, you know. Hmm. And um, he has, this guy's technique, man, is the – he start that piece started off with a with a like a three octave unison, both hands uh, like ascending scale, you know. And I've never, it sounds more precise than MIDI by a mile. Oh wow! The precision that he plays, I can't, I don't even know how fast that guy's synapses are snapping, you know. Hmm. So um, that kind of stuff, you can see I'm getting worked up even talking about it, being being able to. Um, you know, interact with the brilliant musicians like that. Yeah. Give me more of that. I can oh, use yeah. more of that. We can all use more of that. <laughs> yeah. I love writing for somebody that can really it just slays on their instrument. That's the best. Um, I know. Well, see, that's what I do. That's what I've always been able to do with the big fat band. Sure. You get to write for Wayne Bergeron, you know, yeah. and Eric Marienthal and Martin. And right. then they publish the charts and these high school kids have to play it. And they're like, what the hell am yeah. I supposed to play this? Sure. And the answer that I find myself giving is like, well, you don't have to, but if you try to, you're going to get better. Yeah. So, you know, why don't, go for it. See, you how know, do, see what happens. How do you get to Carnegie hall practice? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Pretty much things don't have to sound perfect the first time. And that's kind of a, a thing uh, that happens here in, the, in LA, uh, even, even in the professional community where the music probably should be playable the first time because time is money, you know, yeah, right. at a session, yeah. whether, you know, but um, there are other, other environments, uh, you know, that you can put it together over, over the course of two or three rehearsals. Yeah. You know, and I used to say, hey, do you think the Rite of Spring was like sounded good the first time through? Then I always felt a little bit like a jerk for saying that, like I was comparing my music to Stravinsky. <laughs> but <laughs> the point still stood, I think, you know. Yeah. No, you know, absolutely. Take a minute. Take a minute, build it, you know, see, and, uh, you know, invest in it. Right, right. There's something to be said for that, for something that you can't just read down. There's some value there. Yeah, I, I believe so. And there's, there's also value to music that just feels right and and plays down without without a lot of effort. That that's a that's a that feels good too. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, we're coming up to the end of our of our time together. I want to ask you: um, Do you have any uh, do you have any non musical hobbies or things that you do in your spare time, not related to music? You probably don't have any spare time, but if you could imagine having some. Yeah, um, well, I, I do like to read, although my reading has evolved to audiobooks mm. lately. It seems more efficient. Mm. And, and I love the yeah. fact that I can kick it up, you know, in one and a half or two times speed. Oh, sure. Right. You know, and kind of, kind of get, get through the book. Um, I, I, uh, I used to, um, I used to shoot a lot of basketball. We had a hoop in the, in the, front yard but not as much as that but we do walk every night we try to, try to go and walk through three or four miles it's like a, we live in a kind of a hilly neighborhood so that's a good thing yeah. um but it's kind of pathetic you know i mean i do follow i do follow the dodgers and the lakers kind of fanatical about that um but i'm so infatuated with music that it never leaves me mm. it's kind of a uh you know uh, my kids used to make fun of me when I'd be sitting at the dinner table and we're just sitting there and everyone's talking and, I, and here's me. I'm like, you know, just little singing, little things or whatever, or, you know, my hands are, are on the table and I'm kind of playing things on, you know, yeah. the imaginary piano. And then so um, I, 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 I struggle with it a little bit, Jason, because I think that maybe um, that I, need to seek that balance hmm. but the the call is strong and um and i think that um uh to, to accomplish something it's like we talked about you said it earlier about being in the right time being lucky in that way you know it's like the malcolm gladwell thing you know sure. yeah you know for, for ten thousand hours in but you put it in at the time when 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 your circumstances are right for what you do. I don't know that my timing has always been perfect at that. I don't know. Well, you're not a drummer. But, you so. know, I, yeah, well, I, I, you know, that's the thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I, you can do it when you can do it. And um, yeah. Um, I look at people when they're like, like if they're in real estate and they always are able to buy low and sell high. And I've uh, I have a mixed record. I mean, I've had I've owned a number of uh, houses over the years, and I've gotten I've gotten hit pretty hard a couple of times. But I just needed to move. It was yeah. just time. Sure. So I have to hope that in the you know the fullness of time, it all just kind of evens out. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that it does. Well, um, we end every podcast with uh, ten frivolous, inconsequential questions which may also not be 10 questions. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. they're, sometimes they're eight or nine people email me. They say there weren't 10 questions in the episode. And I go, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't let it bother me. But as I, but as I say, uh, that's what it says on my rundown is this is the 10 question segment. So that's what I'm going to keep calling. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's see how many we get to. They are completely inconsequential. Um, uh, so Gordon Goodwin, do you have a, a favorite food? Indian food. Indian food. Spicier the better. Ooh. Spicier the better. Okay. Okay. Um, you have a favorite place you'd like to visit or vacation? 
Um, Kauai. Nice. Pr- Princeville. I love that. Do you have a favorite color? It's got to be green. 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 We get a lot of greens. That's good. I'm not going to get psychoanalyzed for this, but um, it's always been green. Huh. Green and blue. Green means go. Um, do you remember what's the last thing you Googled? Uh, that's a fascinating one. I, I Googled, I Googled the, uh, name of the, uh, pet, uh, grooming place that <laughs> I have to take my dog to tomorrow. <laughs> that's I think that's pretty, I think that's what that's it was. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, this is an important one. Um, when you go to sleep at night, you sleep socks on or off? Well, um, this definitely sucks always off and without, without uh, encroaching on the TMI uh, level, uh, you family know, family show. Uh, uh, it is a family show. Even in cold weather, I'm kind of liking sleeping with not much on. Okay. I think, I think it's supposed to be good for you. It, uh, it feels somehow the, uh, this stage of my life, it, it feels right. I'll leave the rest of your imagination, ladies and gentlemen. No socks, just a tuxedo shirt. Um, I could have answered that question with less detail, but, uh, you know, I <laughs> I appreciate that you chose not to. You know, um, I, we'll see. We'll see when you edit this, you know, what you cut out. I'm not cutting that out. I don't I don't I don't cut anything out unless you offend my mother. Um, but that's only happened one time. I won't tell you. Um, oh, my goodness. You, <laughs> she's cool with it. She's Is she a gringo. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, most likely. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite time of day to write? Oh, um, used to, it's it's changed. It used to be early in the morning. Now it's um, the morning is is tends to be right now business and emails and stuff, and then afternoon. And I go I go um, about ten at night still. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. Are you, are you somebody that binge watches things? Oh, yeah. And repeatedly. I probably watched uh, 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 Better Call Saul and uh, Breaking Bad. Probably seen the whole, the totality of those maybe three times. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, let yeah. me ask you this. Are you uh, It's kind of comfort. A- it's kind of comfort food, you know? Sure. Yeah. 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 So, so follow up. Are you, are you one of these people that if, uh, if it's a new show and it's coming out like one episode a week, do you wait till all the episodes are out and then watch them all together? Or like, do you watch them every week? Well, uh, I, I've started to watch them every week. We've been watching a show called for all mankind, which is about, um, yeah, kind of an alternate, right. And uh, and that's been uh, I we're, we're too anxious to see kind of what's going on. It, it it was losing me a little bit, but now this this season, um, really really well done, really good yeah, stuff. That's a great. So show. We're, yeah, we'll watch that in real time when it's when it comes up. I want to know what's going to happen. Is there one episode left this this year? Is there one left? I think so. I think yeah, there's one I think left. I to go. Yeah, that's a really good. I, I like that. that Alternate well. history stuff is really great, man. Yeah. That's yeah. the way you could bring some of your family back to life in your show, you know. You know, it's been it's been said more than once. Like, you know, it's ambiguous <laughs> whether I died or not. Maybe I got sucked out of the airlock and I lived. I don't yeah. know. You know, like. How about this? How about this? Your mom killed her. Your your mom from an alternate dimension killed herself in a different dimension. <laughs> that's going herself. Into, that's going into the next season now. <laughs> okay. All right. It's all yours. You got it. I'll credit you. Um, let's see. I lost where. Oh, if you could do anything um, other than what you're doing now, something non-musical, what do you think it might be? Another horrible, horrible uh, question. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I think I think it might be. I'm not smart enough. But I think it might be something uh, in science. Although I, I actually maybe I'd be a writer. Mm. I don't know. That's pretty. It's a little bit. It's a little bit closer. I mean, I, you know, I started to write my um, memoirs or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Like a while ago, and I got maybe a third of the way through, and then I thought, what am I doing? And I put them aside. You know, then I picked it up again. And I go, hey, stuff's pretty good. Maybe I should continue it. You know. So um, I do love. 
I do love the uh, written word. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, it might be something like that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm writing more words than music sometimes um, these days. Um, well, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was 10 questions, but we're going to say that was 10 questions. And um, so okay. um, tell everybody where they can find you out on the socials and everything. Mm -hmm. um, now we're doing the whole thing, you know, uh, uh, Instagram is the real Gordon Goodwin. There's also a big fat band HQ page on Insta on uh, Twitter. I'm still calling it that uh, at Gordon Goodwin. Uh, if Facebook, there's a Gordon Goodwin page and a big fat band page. And uh, we're on, we're on threads and spoutable. Um, but I don't remember my handles. And then, and then we have a fairly new website, uh, bigfatband.com. And fat, of course, is spelled P-H-A-T. Of course. Yep. Yep. The website looks great. Nice big picture of everybody. Very mm -hmm. snazzy. Thank you. Very classy. Well, um, Gordon, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking this time with me. I really enjoyed our chat. I hope you had a good time. You could pay me. That would that would that would go a long ways to showing the audience that you do sincerely appreciate I that I told offer... them intimate details <laughs> of my life. I can offer you this uh, Sokotano Lego keychain. How about that? I will, mm. I will mail it to you. Save that for me. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll swing by and pick that up at some point soon. Okay. Yeah, I I'm like to set this aside for you. Yeah, so put that over there. Yeah. Put a little sticky note on it. Um, well, thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to the release of the piano album and everything. Uh, Big fat band, of course. And um, we look forward to seeing you down. Yeah, on February, somewhere. on February 4th uh, is, is the Grammy awards. And so we have two, uh, three nominations this time. So, um, I thought I better get that in because on February 5th, I will most likely be a Grammy loser again because <laughs> John Williams is in one of the categories. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I almost voted for that guy myself. So. <laughs> How funny. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Jason. It was really fun. Really, uh, really. Congratulations on the show. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it so much. And we'll see you soon. Composer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama, anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Listen free. Seasons 1 through 3 are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.